because, as the songwriter said, many of us feel this way. I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. That's what we want to do today. That's what we want to do every day. And today, in recognition of this Christmas season, I want to share with you a, a message about Christmas. Next Sunday, of course, I'll be preaching on the real Christmas tree. So it's a, it's a great time to recognize the miraculous message of the Father in giving His Son, Jesus Christ, to us as a Savior through the virgin birth. I said, but all of that is the miracle story of Jesus and the story of Christmas. I want to talk today about, about the wise men and say some things to you that I believe they epitomize in their experience of finding Jesus after a long journey and bowing before him in acknowledgement and recognition of his kingship, we will testify, as they do, that Jesus Christ is king. If he is king, he is Lord. He's Lord, he's Savior. And it doesn't matter that they first are introduced to him as a baby. They worshipped him anyway. So their worship was by faith that this baby was the chosen one of Father God who had come into the world to fulfill his divine and glorious plan that all been through the ministry of this baby would be drawn to God. People at that time did not know even though they might have known the prophecies, they did not understand them completely. So they did not know that God had a plan that he inaugurated in Bethlehem when the baby Jesus was born. That plan included his earthly ministry. And it included all the things that surrounded his arrest, his persecution, and his crucifixion. It certainly included his conquering death on the third day when he rose, walked out of the tomb, and left it empty. All of that was a part of God's magnificent, glorious plan that he put into effect when Jesus was born as the baby in Bethlehem. What a powerful message. And the wise men are a part of that. They're just a part of it. But they're a significant part because these were the first people who came traveling from afar to find Jesus. Their specific journey from however far they came was about Jesus. They were looking for a king who they believe had been announced to the world by the appearance of the star. They called it his star, which they had followed on their long journey until they finally came to the place in Bethlehem where the baby lay. We don't know how many wise men there were. You've, you've always seen it depicted as three. We had three little wise men here this morning. We've always said it's three. But the Bible never says that it was three. There was certainly more than one because they were men, so there's more than one. But there could have been a host of them for all we know. The reason we believe there were three is because three gifts are named. 
They're not named an amount. They're just named as segregated as to what they were, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And out of that, we have extrapolated that there must have been three of these magi or wise men who came from the east to find Jesus and to worship him. So most likely, these men who came from the east, the scripture does tell us that, most likely they, they, they were from the area of Persia because Daniel had had a great effect of prophesying, revealing God and God's word to the Persian people as he had been elevated after his capture and removal to Babylon. He was the prophet. He became the prophet of the people. And God worked by his Holy Spirit through him. And there must have been people who were greatly influenced by that. Why would people from so far away know anything about the Scriptures? And they had to know something about the Scriptural prophecies to know that God was going to have a child born to fulfill his word. For to us a son is given. To us a child is born. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. They realized in the prophecies that one who had the authority to assume this kingship would be born. And they only knew where he might be born at that time because of the star. There actually was a prophecy that told people exactly where he was going to be born so that when these people came from the east probably Iran. Iran today is the name of the modern, the modern name for Persia. So, as distasteful as that might be to you, it's still, that, that's the fact of it. So, so they came from Iran, they came from Persia, most likely. They traveled west from the east till they came to the, the, the area, the nation at, such as it was, where Jesus was born. They went to the house, to the palace. Why wouldn't they go to the palace? They were looking for a king. So they went to where they knew there was a palace, and that was in Jerusalem. There they found Herod, and they asked him where the newborn king could be found. He called the wise men and the scribes, who were the teachers of the scriptures at the time, and asked them what the scriptures had to say about it. And they told him very plainly, the Bible says... He will be born in Bethlehem, named the place. And so Herod passed that information on to the wise men and said, When you find him, bring me word as to where he is exactly so that I can come and join you in worshiping him. We obviously know that was not his goal. The scripture says it was very clear that was not his goal. But the wise men didn't know it at the time. I'm telling you this for a reason because I want to show you how that changed as they moved along in this sequence of events. So they left Herod's palace and started toward Bethlehem, where they expected to find Jesus. And when they got there, led again by that star that guided them. I don't know why it allowed them to stop first at Herod's palace, but I'll give you some ideas as to why that might have been in the next few minutes. But it caused them first to stop at the palace. And then when they left, Again, that star guided them till it came and stood over the place where Jesus was in Bethlehem. In all likelihood, when they got there, he was already uh, uh, in a crib, or what might have been used at that time, that 
so he was not in a manger. He wasn't in the stable any longer. The Bible says they found him in a house, and he could have been at least a year old or something, between a year and two years old by the time these wise men got there and found him. But what the important thing is that when they found him, they found the one that they had come to worship. These men were true worshipers. First of all, they were true worshipers because they were seeking the correct person for worship. They were looking for Jesus. They didn't know his name. They just knew that he was a king who had just been born. They found Jesus. When you seek Jesus, you will find Jesus. You move toward Jesus, and you're moving always in the right direction. These men found him, and they worshipped him. Not only that, but in the course of their worship, there was a discernment developed within them. The Spirit of the Lord came and told them not to go back by way of Jerusalem and not to go back through Herod's palace. They, the Lord told them that that was a destructive path. They listened to the Lord, and they took another course on their way back home, did not go back by Herod, and went back home in another way. There, 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 this was deception. I mentioned a few moments ago the discernment that comes in worship, in true worship. When you find Jesus, there's some discernment with that. And, and there was needed discernment by those wise men. Otherwise, they would have gone back and told Herod all that they found and would have caused a, 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 an immediate attempt to kill him, and, and that, that could have been successful. But God warned them not to go back that way, and they heard God because they had gained a spirit of discernment. When they were on their way to Jesus, they didn't have that discernment. So they stopped off in Herod's palace and talked to him, spilled the beans, so to speak, let him know things that he didn't know. After they got there, God was able to speak to them, and they were able to hear the voice of the Lord and recognize it and take the right course from that point on. Look at or listen to what I'm trying to tell you. On the way to Jesus, they didn't have that discernment. Once they got to Jesus and were in his presence and worshipped him, they gained that discernment. They were able to know what they did not know before they found Jesus. That's just one of the differences that Jesus makes in, his, in your life. He allows you to know things by his scripture, by his spirit, by his revelation, by himself. He allows you to know what you need to know to walk with him, to live for him, and to avoid the traps and destruction bypassing Herod on the way back to avoid the traps and destructions that the enemy has set out for you in an attempt to destroy your life and thereby in your life destroy the plan of God. I don't know if you realize how good that is what I just told you. But <laughs> that's something you need to remember. So that discernment. You see, there's always deceit even around Jesus, even around the message of Jesus. There's always deceit. There's always deception. There's always guidance in the wrong direction. There's always someone who wants to bring destruction rather than to bring uplift. That was Herod. But 
the Lord has a way of helping you know how to bypass all of those things and to get around them and to gain victory over them just like you did with these wise men. Hallelujah. I didn't think I was really going to preach this morning. I thought I was just going to say a few words about Christmas and move on. <laughs> so, so he gave them discernment. And, and I want you to notice about these men too. One of the most obvious things about them is they were givers. In fact, they were sacrificial givers. Sacrificial because who knows how far they came from. If you look at a world map, as I did in, in, in preparing this message, look at a world map and you see little old tiny Israel. There. And then on to the east, you, through Iraq and through Iran is the area that was Persia. They could have come from long, long distances, not, not in planes or cars, but riding, perhaps camels, as we always see them riding, or maybe horses, maybe walking part of the way. We don't know, but we do know they came from a long way. So the very fact that they decided to make that journey to find Jesus was a sacrifice on their part. And then all the way, they faced the dangers of attack from the road by bandits that were always there as they carried these valuable commodities with them, particularly the one gold so highly valued. When they got to Jesus, they had their gifts ready. They went into the house where he was. They bowed before him, and they worshipped him. They worshipped him. I don't know what they said, but I do know they recognized him as king. Here's a baby, not someone sitting on a throne, not someone wearing a crown, not someone surrounded by all the retinue of royalty. No. Here's someone who's just a baby lying in the bed, the crib, or perhaps in his mother's lap. And they recognize this is the king of glory. This is the king of the ages. This is the king not just of an earthly kingdom, but this is the king of a heavenly realm. This is a king that we honor, that we recognize, that we glorify. And they bowed before him and they worshiped him. And in their worship they gave him gifts. These sacrificial worshipers were sacrificial givers as well. And they brought him gold frankincense, and myrrh. The most important thing to them was to find the king and worship him. That's, that was their whole goal. The entirety of what they were looking for was to find this king and to worship him. They knew they'd been successful. How did they know? How did they, the star certainly, the Bible says the star came and stood over the place where the baby lay. They knew from the star and they knew from something inward, something and it was the Lord, the Spirit of God, had drawn them all the way from the outer reaches of Persia, across the territory, across the land, until finally they came to Bethlehem. And now there was a knowledge. He certainly wasn't the only baby around, but there was a knowledge given to them by the knowing Spirit of God who causes all men with open hearts and deep desire to recognize Jesus when they see him. Many have not known him when they walked into his presence. 
Many have been uncertain when they first saw him, as perhaps you were, and as I was. When I first walked into his presence, I had no knowledge of him. I had no understanding of him. I had no education about him. I thought to myself this week, of my life when I did not know who he was. The only time he ever heard me call his name was as a curse. The only time he ever heard me call his name was in profanity. The only time I ever spoke the name was with, with profane cursing. I'm not happy about that, but God's forgiven me for it, so it no longer matters. I'm not worried about it either because it no longer matters. But I didn't know anything about him when I first came into his presence. I had no recognition of him. I share this with you because you may not have any recognition of him. He isn't just a little baby laying in the manger that we just cuddle and fill. No, he's the Savior of the world. He's the Savior of your life. He's the, he is the true King, the King of glory. The King of Kings, he'll ultimately be revealed in the great glorious plan of God as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, this baby laying in the bed. So, so that's who he is. And when they found him, they didn't know it, but they knew something. They knew they were there in the presence of deity. And when that came to full realization to them, they brought him and they handed him their gifts. Here's the acknowledgement. Here's the acknowledgement. We know we found the right one. Here are our gifts. We brought them all the way from afar to give to the new king. And that they did. So he, they handed him the gold. Gold is the symbol of divinity. It's high treasure. High tre royalty. High value. Frankincense is incense showing his priest that he would also become a priest. I wish I had time to give you the, the glorious story of the priesthood of Jesus. But it's there. And that frankincense was the first recognition of the fact that this baby was not only a king, but he was a high priest. A high priest of glory, a high priest of heaven, a high priest chosen of God and designate of God, not because he's in an earthly priestly line, but because he's in a heavenly priestly line, chosen by God as the priest and the sacrifice, both. So that's the frankincense. And then the myrrh. The myrrh is a bitter herb, oftentimes used in preparation of bodies for burial before embalming was uh, as, as advanced as it is. As, and, and it's a bitter herb. It wasn't to be tasted, but when one tasted it, it was bitter. Because there was a bitterness to the message of Jesus. Always, always that He talked about it repeatedly. Again and again and again, He spoke of the fact that He would be arrested, He'd be persecuted, He'd be, he'd be denigrated, He would be crucified, He would be killed by sinful men. He said it over and over and over. His disciples never recognized it, never really understood it until His resurrection. But he kept telling them again and again and again. Anybody who says, I'll just drop this in for you. 
Anybody says that Jesus was a good ethical man, a good moral man, a good teacher, not divine, not the Son of God, but we all recognize him as a good man, a good moral man who did a good thing in the world, a great teacher, a great ethical man, is totally deceived, totally deluded. He was either the Son of God or he was the world's biggest liar. The reason they decided to crucify him was twofold. The two things for which the priests and the leaders of religion of his day hated Jesus, the two reasons they hated him were, first of all, he was a breaker of the Sabbath, which meant to them he was a breaker of the law. Secondly, he himself said he was the Son of God. The high priest acknowledged it when he tore his garment after Jesus was arrested. How dare you proclaim yourself to be the Son of God? Jesus said again and again, that he was the Son of God. So he was either, he can't be ethical and moral and a great teacher and not be the Son of God, because he, if, he, if, he, if he's not the Son of God, then he's the world's biggest liar. He's the world's biggest imposter. He's the world's biggest deceiver. But he's not, and we know that he's not, because he is, in fact, all that he claimed to be and beyond what they could even recognize and probably even greater and beyond what we can recognize today, he is the glorious, everlasting, eternal Son of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so let me, let me bring you this extremely important part as I make this application to us, but I talk about these wise men who were worshipers. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We oftentimes confuse our worship. And, and, and this is one of the reasons that we don't draw any closer to God than we do because we think our worship is external. It's something that, it, it's, it's singing, it's music, it's, it's reading, it's having a morning devotion. Coming to church. When we do. If we do. That's our worship. And the Bible doesn't say that's true. This is what your true worship is. I'll put you more than one place to look at that and read that and say, this is your true worship. First of all, nobody, nobody who is embroiled in sin, enchained by sin, enslaved by sin, can worship God. You can call on him for help. You can say, oh, and, and he wants you to call on him for help. But as far as worshiping him, to magnify his name, to glorify his name, to honor him, you can't do that from the pit of sin. It's in Congress. To worship God, you've got to give yourself to him. That's the first step, the main part, the continuing process of worshiping God is giving yourself and keeping yourself in His hands on the altar of God. I hope everybody understands that and everybody believes that. If you don't believe it, it's true anyway. That's one, that's one of the wonderful things about truth, isn't it? Whether we believe it or not, it's still true. <laughs> that's a good thing because we preach that all the time. So here's the point. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, says, I beseech you, I implore you, I entreat you. I, 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 I call to you, brothers. I 
beseech you, therefore, brethren, therefore, based on what Romans has said up to now, that you present your bodies, yourselves, your being, present yourselves, what? A living sacrifice. Holy. Holy. H-O-L-Y. Holy. Acceptable unto God, which is your... What? What version are you reading? <laughs> if you're reading the King James, it says, which is your reasonable service. If you're reading the English Standard Version, it says, which is your true worship. If you read the NIV, it speaks of it being your true worship. If you read the Amplified Version, it takes it a little further. But it goes on to say, it is your reasonable, rational, and true worship. Because giving yourself to God is the true worship. You, you cannot worship the babe, the Christ, Jesus on the cross, Jesus out of the tomb, Jesus coming again. You can't worship him apart from living for him. I'll join in with you on that. That's what the Bible says. You are not your own, Paul said to the Corinthians. You're not your own. You don't even belong to yourself. If you have given yourself your life, you're, you're saved by the blood of the Lamb. You're not your own. You are bought with a price. And that price is the blood of Jesus, the babe of Bethlehem. So, this is the most important thing. What they did was they found the king and worshipped him. And the most important thing that you can do is what those wise men did. Find King Jesus and worship him. Worship him by giving yourself to him. By turning over everything to him to become his follower. Because Jesus taught exactly what Paul taught that I quoted to you from Romans chapter 1. There's more to it. I just don't have time to go into it anymore. But, but, but this is so important, so important. This is what Jesus taught. Jesus talked about the very same thing. How many times did Jesus talk about giving up everything to follow him? How many times did he say give up houses and land even? He put that in, he's not talking about giving up all material things. He's talking about giving up, you have to put it in the terms of the obvious. So he's saying, give, it up, give up those things that are dearest to you. Whatever is dearest to you, surrender it and sacrifice it at the cross of Jesus. Because before you, until you do that, you can't walk with him. And you can't truly worship him. Therefore, you can't truly serve him. Jesus said it again, again, again. Lay other things aside and follow me. How many times did he say, take up your cross and follow me? And a lot of people think that means you've got to go out and cause yourself some suffering. You've got to go out and have some kind of grief and some kind of sadness got to have some kind of sickness. That's my cross. No, 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 no. The cross of Jesus that he wants you to take up and follow him is obedience. It's obedience. It's obedience. How do I know that? Because the Bible says Jesus was obedient to death, even the death on the cross. I might be getting into the next week now, but 
two times over on this. He was obedient to the death on the cross. You see, the cross to Jesus was an act of obedience. I don't want to die on the cross, he said. I would rather not die on the cross. Nevertheless, not my will, Father, but yours be done. I choose to obey the Father's will and plan because that's the only thing that will produce salvation for mankind. Jesus walked to the cross and carried the cross all the way up to the top of Golgotha until he got some help along the way from Simon of Cyrene. And when he died, he died in obedience. If we're going to take up the cross, we will follow a path of obedience to God. That's the only thing that can, that's the only thing that can be deducted from Jesus using the term take up the cross and follow him. He doesn't expect us to, block, to suffer on the cross. He certainly doesn't take it, expect us to take the cross and put it on our shoulders and drag it around with us everywhere. Either symbolically or realistically. But he does expect us to live in obedience, as Jesus lived in obedience to the death of the cross. And so that's worship. I, I, I know you think I've got far off when I put all the way from the babe to the cross, but it's all the same story, friends. It's all the same story. Christmas includes the cross. As you'll find out really even more, more clearly next Sunday, it includes the cross. So, so what we have to know is that this is the message. Worshiping Him is the call to obedience. How many times have you ever come seeking the Lord to draw closer to Him? And He speaks to your heart things that you need to do. Usually something you don't want to do. If you wanted to do it because you knew you should do it, you would have already done it before He had talked to you about it. But you don't want to. But He talks to you about it. Because this is what you find. Every time you talk to the Lord about drawing closer to Him, He'll talk to you about obeying Him. Every time you talk to the Lord about, Oh, God, this, I, this is something I really need, Lord. Obey me. But you, you talk to the Lord about drawing closer to Him, He's going to talk to you about drawing closer to Him. Same thing. He's just going to tell you, Do it. Do it. Worship is obedience. And you cannot worship until you learn obedience. These men heard the message of the Spirit. They came all the way across the area, across most of the continent, until from Persia they found this little village, this one little village pinpoint, just out from Jerusalem by, by a few miles. Not close, but not some great distance either. And when they came to that, when they came to that point in Bethlehem, they knew they had found the king because they had obeyed God's call from the very beginning, all the way from they left their homeland until they got to Bethlehem and found the babe there to worship him. They were true worshipers. They gave themselves a sacrifice. They paid the price. They were true worshipers. And that's what God wants us to be. He wants us to be true worshipers. True worshipers. 
the service is a little bit different, as you already know. I didn't know how to plan the timing on it, but I'm happy with where we are right now because I want to finish up finish up this service this morning. First of all, I want to finish up this service in prayer. I don't know of anything more important to the Christmas season than prayer. Well, I don't know anything more important any time or any season than prayer. It's always the highest priority. These men came, when they came in worship, they, they came to down praying for the day, declaring, declaring His glory, declaring His kingship. So we're going to pray this morning. And I'm going to ask you, as we get ready to pray, everybody throughout this conference,